everybody, and welcome back to Aligning America. I'm your host, Vincent Miller, and let's jump right into things. Our first thing today, and our only thing today, is going to be the New York City mayoral race. Now, we are just about a month, a little under a month out, and as this podcast was inspired by Andrew Yang, I felt somewhat indebted to at least go in-depth into what is his race, or was his race to lose. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, just to give everyone some context to a very important, obviously, uh, New York City being one of the largest cities in the United States is a hotbed for and somewhat of a proving ground for the Democratic primary that will ensue after in 2024. So this primary here is somewhat of a microcosm of the Democratic Party and all aspects of it in a city where there are or there is more than enough of a sample size to really test those theories and to count those numbers of the real reality on the ground. In our upper tier, I've decided to unfortunately segment it into two tiers, not to really discourage those supporters of the bottom tier, rather just to look at who has a realistic shot and who doesn't. Uh, In the upper tier, we have Eric Adams, Andrew Yang, Catherine Garcia, and Scott Stringer. Now, you may say, Scott Stringer, wasn't he the guy who had sexual assault allegations and some improper allegations during his previous campaign? Yeah, and we'll talk about that in just a bit. But he is somehow holding on to double digits in polling, uh, which is what I used to consider upper tier. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about his phenomenon in just a bit. In the lower tier, you have Maya Wiley, Diana Morales, Ray McGuire, Paperboy Prince, and Sean Donovan. Again, not to say that these people have no chance of becoming mayor, but realistically, it would take one heck of a media storm to propel any of them to the top of the list, especially in time as we are sitting just under a month now. So let's talk about our first real story. And I chose a few stories from each of these campaigns before we talk about just straight polling. To give you some context as to what's going on, so you're a little bit more knowledgeable on some of these more interesting things going on. Our first is Diana Morales and her campaign. Now, she was and is still a Bernie Sanders-esque, AOC-esque, super far left-leaning, proper social Democrat. She is someone who is pushing for radical reforms, radical redistribution, and the like. But recently, it was noted that her campaign was having some complaints, at least anonymously reported. A few of the insiders, and especially those in leadership, high leadership in her campaign, were feeling underpaid or not being paid at all, and were having serious confrontational issues with Diana. Now, of course, this all came to a head when there was an open call to boycott work at her campaign because they had been the target of union busting while they were trying to create a union of workers working under her. And you can imagine that these are people who want to work for her. If you're a volunteer for a campaign, you really usually feel something unless it has a a huge paycheck behind it. And we're talking millions where there is inter-party consultants and whatnot. But when it comes to small ground scale operations like this, you're not going to see people who are just in it for the money. They're generally supporters of the campaign. So to see people like this finally snap and come out and say, we're done with your union busting, we're done with being exploited, we're not going to stand for it. That's pretty impressive might be the wrong word there, but it still kind of is because it's surprising, especially coming from the campaign that champions labor and labor rights and the rights of the working class. It's somewhat ironic to see that it's not at all going to work out that way, uh, at least in her own administration or her pseudo administration being her campaign. And another thing to note, I think is important that Diana Morales' campaign, yes, it did champion all this, 
I, I think it would be unfair to say that it's all on the volunteers' fault or all on the left's fault that things like this happen. I mean, this happens in a lot of campaigns. Some people are just not who they say they are. And I don't want anyone to be discouraged out there from supporting who they want to support for that reason. I wouldn't want anyone to look at AOC or Bernie Sanders and say just because they champion the same things that Diana Morales champions, then they're probably actually horrible people. That's not true for the vast majority. I mean, unless you want to take a catch-all and say politicians are bad, which is oftentimes very serious seemingly true. Diana Morales should not be the example. She had some serious glaring warning signs that her nonprofit that she runs, she had some serious money coming her way through that. So it did seem a little sketchy that she would be the one championing these motives. Again, it's not to say that I think that these politicians are perfect if they're champion human rights or whatnot. But also, she's definitely an education. I would not consider her to be the standard bearer uh, and I wouldn't worry too much about a lot of those far left politicians who clamor for the same things just to be going back on their word the minute that they have a campaign as Bernie Sanders campaign had a very robust union that he liked to point out many, many times. So it is an interesting thing to note, though, that you can use that sort of language and get away with these abuses for so long, again, really calls into question or rather highlights how important that these these calls are, regardless if they're being met in her own campaign. Moving on, we have Scott Stringer. As I mentioned previously, he is actually experiencing something of a redoubt, something of a, a minor surge for himself, even after there were very viable and credible sexual molestation charges brought forth by someone who was groped during one of his campaign events when he was running for city comptroller a few years ago. So that lady came forth and gave some very credible accusations that many people were able to corroborate. And it just seemed like, yeah, he did a horrible thing. Now, again, this isn't 100% true. We, we can't naturally verify this with a snap of the fingers. However, it definitely is not one of those accusations with no weight. There are many, many people backing up her story. And it seems like she can point to the day, she can point to the time, people remember what happened. So it does look bad for him. This is why he dropped out of the very high tier in contention with Andrew Yang, Catherine Garcia, and Eric Adams, these people who are now kind of the trio running in front. He is in the upper echelon because, yes, he cracked a decent double-digit number, as we'll talk about later in the poll, that most recently came out. So I can't ignore his support. However, I can't imagine it'll manifest nearly as strong as those three, at least come voting day, because it's just difficult to shake a credible accusation like that. And we've seen campaigns brought down by it before, but I have to imagine that he doesn't really have prospects, even if he's holding on for now. I can't imagine he gains much more support than he already has because I think the ceiling was brought down drastically by having that accusation on the table. It's it's difficult to stomach for a lot of New Yorkers and for a lot of people in general. So Scott is not someone I'm believing to have a future as a mayor New York City. However, he serves as a reminder that as the progressive left, at least the establishment part of the progressive left, those in media and whatnot uh, coalesced around him at the beginning of this entire race, he was the one that they chose. He was the Bernie Sanders of the race. They endorsed him. And even after the accusations, they kind of just waffled. They didn't want to retract their endorsements. However, there were some that did. So 
it's difficult, again, to say whether or not this serves as an endorsement of endorsements or if this kind of shows how meaningless they are, because there's so many volatile factors within the race that it's, it's difficult to just simply say, oh, he's endorsed by X, Y and Z, so he can't lose. I mean, that's obviously just not going to happen, uh, though there may have been a time when that was the case. People are finding news sites, media sites outside of the mainstream that answer all the questions they want answered. So it doesn't seem, and especially with social media, people get enough information to really make calls for themselves. And I think that's an interesting aspect of campaigning that may not have caught up with a lot of campaign research groups and a lot of campaign managers that, that have been planning these political campaigns for three decades now. Uh, it's definitely something that they have to start realizing because Scott isn't getting anywhere with his endorsements and likely, again, will will not even come in contention for first place. The next candidate with an interesting story tagged onto them uh, is Eric Adams. He had been the front runner for a while, trading places with Andrew Yang every so often, uh, but he was certainly the moderate in the race. He is a former Republican who is known for being hard on crime, stop and frisk supporter, and very, very anti-drug. Though, one interesting story that's come out recently is that he did go to an Orthodox Jewish leader's uh, community for a meeting with those leaders, and he apparently, after a few minutes, stormed out. Now, what happened in that room may not truly ever come out, however... From what we've heard and from what sources have said, it appears that he had asked them for their endorsement. They said they were unsure. Following that, he claimed they owed him. And then following that, he said, I don't need your help after they rejected that he deserved their endorsement immediately off the bat. After that, he stormed out and he had none of it. And of course, later, those Jewish leaders would go on to endorse Andrew Yang, which is a block of about 10,000 voters. So when it comes down to it, 10,000 in a race of sometimes less than a million is a lot. I mean, that's a lot of voters. So Andrew is looking to lock up that. And so we'll, we'll transition to him. Of course, Andrew being the business friendly left leaning moderate as opposed to the right leaning moderate in Adams. Andrew is definitely locking up a large part of the vote due to the fact that he is fun. He is happy. And unlike Adams, who is going on about the problems with guns and crime and drugs and claiming that the, the city's in ruin and he needs to fix it, Andrew Yang is, is applauding the city for making it through a pandemic and hyping up the past successes of the city and the, the trials and tribulations that they've gone through only to say that they can rebuild better. And that is Andrew Yang's whole appeal that appeal of a bright new day after this pandemic is exactly what seems to be resonating, which makes a lot of sense to me, at least from a personal level. But it does goes to show that, yes, all you need to do is run a presidential campaign, lose very, very badly, and then immediately after just continue being a nice guy and keep smiling with that name recognition and the decent attitude. You get really, really far. I mean, you truly do get very, very far. Adams, of course, not as nice of a guy. And if you look at their campaign strategies, Adams came out day one saying it was going to be a rough and dirty campaign versus Andrew, who decided not to attack any of his competitors until just very recently. He had, he had saved all harsh words of criticism for really about a month out from the election. So it's interesting to see how they try and draw distinctions from each other and how that actually plays out. But does it pay off for them? And, and how does it pay off for them? Because some of these candidates, as of the most recent poll, Garcia, Adams, Yang, and Stringer are the only four with double digits in percentage-wise. They're the only four that are really in contention for any level of success here. 
though there are some stark differences between the four of them that are very important to draw. Of course, Stringer is sitting at the lowest with 10%, Yang then at 17, Adams with 20, and Garcia with 21. Now, if you look at these, you'll note that, of course, Stringer is dead last out of these four, and it's not very close. And again, as I mentioned previously, his ceiling is going to put him about there for the rest of the entire campaign. I can't see him going any higher. Uh, again, I mean, if you're sticking with him now, I can't imagine you drop to someone else now, especially with ranked choice voting. It just doesn't make much sense. So Stringer is where he is, and it would have to be some miracle of ranked choice voting that he would end up as the mayor of New York City. Now, moving on to Yang, he is at 17%, of course, just 3 to 4% shy of the top and is openly the guy I support. Andrew is struggling for one reason and one reason alone is because he has a very strong base, a very strong group of supporters round one. But poll after poll after poll shows he starts to lose appeal in second, third, and fourth place amongst ranked choice voting, which can be attributed to the media's consistent harassment of Yang. And if you are already a supporters of Adam or, or Garcia or Stringer, you're going to want to be fed that sort of information and you're only going to want to rank him less. So for as many Adams and then Garcia and then Stringer voters there are, there are not that many Morales, Yang, Stringer voters. There's not enough people out there voting for him on their second, third, fourth wave, but he does have a very strong and very present and probably reliable voter base on first round. So it will be interesting to see that that will really come down to how ranked choice voting ends up at the end of the day. How does it truly play out? Nobody, of course, can tell, especially it being such a complicated system with so many rounds, algorithms and whatnot, and data that's been gathered through polls doesn't show enough and really can't be a decisive nail in the coffin for anybody. There's no real predictions other than this is their base amount of support, and then I wonder how it will play out. Though, as I sit here right now, a few weeks out from the race, I'm going to call it for who I think it'll be. I think Andrew Yang will win. I think he'll win because of that dedicated support. I think he will have a remarkable turnout from the Orthodox community. I think Asian American turnout will likely be very high for him as he's consistently done well with them. Not very surprising to many people. And then I think what may also surprise people is the number of moderates that he gets and the number of leftists that he gets. Yes, I think it's obvious that he would dominate somewhere in between that liberal field. But I think he will reach into both sides of that pool and, and pull more voters than people are expecting. And I think that will put him in a first place position. And I think it will be close between him and Adams, perhaps Garcia, if she continues this momentum. But unless that happens, I think this will, will truly remain between Andrew Yang and Adams. And I think that's exactly how it'll play out. I think Adams will come very close to winning, but he won't quite. And that is that is going to be my call for today. Thank you for listening through to the end. We'd really appreciate it if you check us out at Aligning America on Instagram and Twitter. And if you really enjoyed it and want more content like this, be sure to head over to our Patreon to ensure we can keep putting out episodes, changing hearts and minds one podcast at a time. Thank you.